these social networks like Facebook and Instagram, they're very broad, but they're very shallow, right? And people want to go quite deep on their hobby, their thing they're passionate about, you know? So I think the concept of vertical social networks, that has been around for a long time, but it's only sort of more recently as people have started to want more than what Facebook or Instagram provides that those have started to really grow. Do you have fish on your brain? Welcome to Mobile Heroes Uncensored. My name is John Goodsear. My co-host, of course, as always, is the amazing Peggy Ann Saltz. Today, we're chatting with somebody else who's also amazing and somebody very different who leads an app that is very, very different. It's not in the metaverse. It's not a game. You don't earn gems. You're not killing aliens. It's not ride hailing or fintech or any of the other huge investment mobile verticals that we talk about and talk to all the time. What it is, is a truly massive app for a massive group of people that takes an existing behavior and lifestyle and builds a digital layer for that community to connect, do what they do better, get the right tools and enjoy their activity more. The app is called Fishbrain and we're chatting with the CMO today. Who is she, Peggy? So we have Lisa Canelli. She's CMO at Fishbrain. And as you were talking about it, John, Fishbrain is the world's most popular mobile app marketplace and social network for people who love fishing. They're addicted to it. And she is a marketing and communications professional with experience in scaling teams and startups in the US and Europe. So she has built this e-commerce marketplace. Her expertise in growth and marketing come through, but also user acquisition, community, and more. And she loves growth almost as much, I think, as the fishermen love the fishing because she is, quote unquote, totally addicted to it. And she's gotten into coaching and mentoring startups as well. She loves talking to people about their challenges and learnings. And she's involved in a number of programs, including first round fast track startup core strengths, growth mentor. She'll be here to talk with us, which is great. She'll love talking with us. And she loves to draw from her own experience to keep marketers on the straight and narrow, get them unstuck. So we're looking forward to hearing some of those tips as well, Lisa. Welcome. Wow. Thanks so much for having me. That was a great introduction. Everybody likes talking to us, Peggy, because we are nice people. Um, So it's a good time when they talk to us. So Lisa, I Googled your app. I noted the 14 million fishers who have logged 12 million catches. I noted there was a difference between those two numbers. And I was wondering, does this prove once and for all that the fishing trip isn't really about the fish? Oh, wow. Great, great point there. <laughs> I mean, I think it proves that yes. I can do basic math like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. You you can have a really great fishing trip or fishing experience without catching a fish. Um, of course, of course, catching a fish makes it makes it better. I've been told I'm actually super unsuccessful at catching fish when we do our company fishing trips. Um, it's also true that a lot of people use fish brain who maybe won't log all their catches there. We hope they do, but um, sometimes they use it for more of the social network, you know, community part, or maybe for the shopping part. Um, But we do like to say uh, every catch on Fishbrain. We have that as a company goal for a while. I love it. And I was kind of joking with you there because I know like, you know, many people will use an app and not use every single feature of it, right? So that makes 100% of sense. But you know, you do have a pretty amazing audience slash community. 14 million is super significant. How did you grow to that? Yeah, so the, I mean, the app has been around for uh, quite a while. So it's been around since around 2010 or so. 
So we have, I would say one way we've grown is like, we've been around for a while. We, you know, went through those first steps in the first few years of figuring out what worked and getting to the point of product market fit where we could grow. So I would say that's part of it. Um, and then it was, you know, once we found that, then it was like, great. Now we have, um, you know, the investment, we have the team to start to scale that both on the marketing, you know, acquisition side, as well as through other channels, you know, organic channels, partnership channels. Um, so I wish I could say there's like, oh, we, we figured it out, but it was, it was just a lot of the sort of usual tactics of like, you find a product that works and then you scale it. So easy, right? So no special sort of channels that helped the most. It was, you know, paid, unpaid. It was all in Facebook, whatever. Is there any one that really stood out for you? So I would say it's definitely gone in phases over time. I would say much like most mobile apps and, and marketers, you know, have found over time. So definitely before the last couple of years, we did grow a lot through paid channels, through Facebook and through Google and those. And, you know, because the targeting was so good, it made sense. Why wouldn't we go through Facebook, right? We could find people who are interested in fishing and we did. So that was quite an effective way for us to grow for quite some time. And then obviously with the changes to iOS and privacy in the last couple of years, we've started to invest more heavily in other channels. We always were, so we certainly have done influencers for quite some years. There's a lot of phishing influencers, if you didn't know that. Very popular on various channels, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. So we've done some work with them. Of course, we've got a lot of growth from the community. So when we poll our users right now and we ask them where they heard about Fishbrain, 35% say from friends and family. So we know there is quite a lot of word of mouth happening. So those are some different channels that you know we've grown through and continue to grow through. And then in the last year, we've put a lot of emphasis on growing through partners as well, because there's so many partners in the fishing industry, right? And the fishing industry, you mentioned some of those other you know, industries that a lot of tech is working in. Unlike many of those, fishing is very non-digital, or it's been very non-digital for a very long time. So as more and more of the industry players in fishing you know, want to get more involved in digital and tech and reach a younger audience, they've, they've come to us because they see we're the biggest fishing app in the space. So that's been very interesting as a way for us to grow is connecting with, you know, fishing brands, the agencies in the States who are the ones who sell the fishing licenses and manage all the waters, for example, some conservation organizations. Those are the type of organizations we're partnering with now. It makes a ton of sense, Lisa. And, and Peggy, it's quite interesting, actually, that major growth strategy is being around <laughs> surviving. Who would have known if you're actually running a business and you can survive for a decade or more, chances are you're going to keep growing along the way. I want to dig deeper into a little bit of the app, Lisa. And the reason I'm doing so is because, as I said off the top, you know, it's not a vertical that people think of immediately when they think of mobile and they think of apps and they think, but it's, it's actually probably underserved just in terms of whether it's fishing, whether it's construction, whether it's something that is non-digital, non-mobile, that somebody's taking an app and actually building a community and providing something useful. There's a lot of revenue potential there and a lot of growth opportunity there that isn't normal. But you've added a social component there, and I want you to help us understand what is that? What does that look like? If, if I go fishing with Peggy, <laughs> we're in the boat somewhere, and we both have the app, do we like say, hey, we're fishing together? And mm -hmm. are there special features when we're on a fishing trip together? That's a very great oh, question. So timely. <laughs> exactly. So There's Plenty so, of fish in the sea. That's related, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I would say that's evolved over time. So actually right now, something we're working on building is a feature we do called trips. 
which is talking about what is your fishing trip, which could involve other people, right? It can be we're on this fishing trip together. And that is something that we've developed over time. I would say the other, I mean, some of the other community features that have been there for a long time is that um, one of the things you do when you set up the app is you say, what's my fishing area? Like what's the, it's geographically based. What are the places I like to fish? Because most people, when they fish regularly, it's within a 30 minute drive of their house. Of course, you can go fishing trips. You have more, you know, one-off things. But if you're someone who's a fishes as a hobby, most of the time, 30 minute drive of your house, right? So you want to know what's around you. And then you want to see, you can see the catches that are around you and you can see who caught those fish around you. So that's something we've heard for a long time is that people will connect with people they've met in their area who they see fishing, but a body of water near them. We actually have a really cute story of a couple who actually met via fish brain because they were both fishing sort of in the same water and they got connected and they ended up getting married as a result of meeting on fish brain. So um, it's pretty amazing way of bringing people together. So um, I was joking about yeah. the plenty of fish comment, but <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to go back to your point about, you know, is this sort of a unique vertical? I mean, that was the, one of the reasons that our, our CEO and founder thought about fish brain back then was that, you know, these social networks like Facebook and Instagram, they're very broad, but they're very shallow, right? And people want to go quite deep on their hobby, their thing they're passionate about, you know? So I think the concept of vertical social networks, that has been around for a long time, but it's only sort of more recently as people have started to want more than what Facebook or Instagram provides that those have started to really grow. And, and there's other very successful ones like Strava, you know, is another example we look at a lot. I would say Vivino, the wine app, they're another one. You know, that's quite an interesting mm-hmm. social component of marketplace. Um, Untapped is a beer social network. So there's there, there are some out there. I know those are two alcohol yeah. examples. But <laughs> there are many others. Not just fish on your brain. Hmm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense, John. You know, you, people love what they love. And it makes me think of a story way back at the start of mobile and apps. And one of the biggest networks at that point in time was in Scandinavia. Where else, right? A lot of darkness, a lot of time on your hands. And it was bird calls, right? You had these people who were like, who can do the best bird calls and who can do the best imitations and get really get into this stuff. So people love what they love. They're passionate about what they care about. But I do want to stay with the audience for a moment because they're committed for sure, right? But the passion around fishing, you know, it can wane. Or there can be other apps out there that aren't like yours, but do cater to fishing enthusiasts. How do you get your audience to keep using it on a regular basis, you know, between the trips, between the the dating for other fishing enthusiasts, you know, stay relevant, stay top of mind? How do you handle that? Oh, it's such a great question. It's, I mean, retention is something we all uh, struggle with in the industry and especially fishing, which is very seasonal, right? So on top of just general app retention, we have quite a seasonality curve, especially because most of our audiences in the United States, we are global, but like we focus a lot of our marketing growth on the US currently. And so you see a very, very strong seasonality curve that goes up from April to October, more or less. That's the peak. And people fish all year round. There's some people who do. But, you know, if you live in the northern part of the United States, unless you're going ice fishing, not so much. And then there's there's actual, you know, regulations around when you can and can't fish, depending on when the fish are spawning, all of that. So that's something we do work with a lot is, you know, how do we keep people engaged if I went fishing all summer and then it's too cold that I don't go fishing again until the next year? So there's a couple different ways. Certainly it's around, you know, the standard tools in your tool belt of like emails and push notifications and all of those things. But actually the marketplace we developed was a direct approach to that because the season for shopping for fishing gear is kind of the inverse, 
right? So the biggest months for shopping for fishing gear for our audience are like November, December, which is like Black Friday shopping season. So if you see our activity, those curves are a little bit inverted. So that's something we did to try and, and balance that out. But I would say other things we're, we're doing is definitely around the content side, because even if you're not fishing, you're consuming fishing content all year round. It's the dark of December and you're watching fishing videos on YouTube all day, all night. So, you know, we're trying to work with ways to, you know, improve the content in the app. And maybe that comes back to trips as a way to like relive your trip or plan your next trip. So it's definitely, you know, trying to make sure we're adding value to that angler experience, even if you're not going out fishing. There's so much opportunity there. That is really interesting. I mean, like re recording short video clips of your experience that can be geolocated and you can see them as you enter a new lake or something. Maybe you're doing that already. I have no idea, but that'd be really neat. You know, publishing to YouTube if somebody's like, oh, I got this great fish or something like that. I'm sure you do something like that as well. But I'm super interested in this e-commerce ecosystem you built. You offer, uh, wow, 100,000 products, over 500 brands. That's really interesting. I mean, because you've got uh, what Bass Pro Shops, right? And other big retailers in the States. Talk about your growth of the e-commerce ecosystem. And is that where you're driving, you know, most of your revenue? Is that where you anticipate most of your revenue coming? So it's definitely, it's not currently where we drive most of our revenue is inverse. So the subscription um, business is still the bulk of our revenue, but it is the future, right? That's where the big opportunity is. So it's still a smaller piece of our revenue, but it is growing. It's been quite a ride with that. I mean, you know, you'd think it's enough to be doing sort of a utility that's a fishing app to tell you where to go fishing and a social network on top. Let's throw a marketplace on top too and really, really add some, some packet full of things. So I think we, you know, we, it's been you a little WeChat. bit overwhelming. <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, again, going back to the fishing industry, right? This really worked out well with the timing of a lot of fishing brands wanting to go direct to consumer. And here we were this opportunity for them to do that quite easily. So that worked out really well with sort of the way the industry was going. And then we actually launched the marketplace not long before the pandemic. So then also everything went online. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, Amazon for a while was and Walmart, they were only selling essentials. So like, where could you buy fishing gear if you Googled for it? Like we came up pretty high. So that actually gave us, you know, a little bit of a bump and a kickstart on being a place where people could buy fishing gear. Because certainly there is a lot of competition from Bass Pro and Amazon and all those places, but it's not perhaps as crowded in e-commerce space as some verticals. So we had this opportunity to, again, partner with brands who are looking to go digital, looking to go direct to consumer. And then also we have this benefit of like, because of the community and the data, we can actually tell you things about that fishing gear that nobody else can tell you. Because if you buy something on Amazon, it's going to tell you, yeah, you know, maybe I use this or here's how the shipping experience was. We can say, hey, this rod you want to buy, it's been rated by 30 anglers who've caught these specific fish within these specific bodies of water. Like we can tell you how this wow. actually performs, right? Which is a much better way to make a purchase, right? Then you really see, yeah, this is how this thing works, you know, than another. So that is what we feel is really our, our USP when it comes to our, our commerce shop. Amazing. That is interesting. Informed reviews, because I'm seeing that and hearing that so much more that you are going to want to go to reviews, reviewers, and products that people really, really get, right? It's not the generic, oh, this was great, I love it, or no, this wasn't, and I don't love it. You know, it's like informed reviews. And that's going to be, as you said yourself, a big part of your USP. Now, I've been talking to a number of marketers, like in health and fitness, right? And they're saying themselves, you know, we can do some deals with some equipment makers and we can really move up and move up the food chain and make tons of money. So, 
everybody is interested in how do you work with someone else? How do you build an ecosystem? And you've done it already. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you sourced your vendors and made these partnerships that have benefited you and your app. I would say first, there's the vendor side of it. And there was also sort of the tech and development side of it, which was something where we had to you know, figure out what were we going to build ourselves? What were we going to outsource? And we did end up you know, outsourcing the marketplace uh, functionality you know, to start. And then over time, we sort of started to bring that in-house piece by piece. Just how you build a marketing team too, right? You start outsourcing it and then you bring it in-house piece by piece. So there was that piece. And then also, yeah, working with the brands. I mean, this was something that we weren't, we weren't super like stealth about it when we were building it up over years. It was always on our roadmap. It was something that our CEO, when he spoke with the industry, would say, this is the direction we're going. So we had a sense to sound out and get a sense like there were partners who were interested. So then when it came time, it was like, okay, who can we bring on board? Who can be some of our um, key initial partners? You know, one key thing for us was getting on one very big industry player who owned a lot of brands under them and get them on sort of a special deal, which then took took years to to lock it in, right? And they have maybe a special deal that's different from the rest of the industry. But that did help show the industry, okay, if that big partner is partnering with us, you know, that gives us a lot of street cred, right? That makes them trust us more. So I would say the learning is like, who are the sort of key early partners you can get on? Be focused and like understand your sales cycle for that will take time. But if you can get those key ones on, that will leverage. And then it just snowballs over time. There's like a big fishing industry conference in Orlando every year. Uh, it's called iCast. And it's the sort of B2B side of the industry. And a few years ago when we'd go and we we're trying to get people in the marketplace, they were like, who are these guys? What is this? And the last year we went, everyone's like, oh, it's Fishbrain. We know you. Yeah, come on. Like it was amazing to see how much that changed. So it took a lot of work, but it, it really, it really was worth it. Wonderful. Can't just saying it, but uh, maybe it's all about catching a big fish. Oh. <laughs> let me let me tell you that um, I'm also in charge of of brand for the company, right? I'm in charge of the branding, and and fish puns are on brand, so it's okay. They're they're part of our okay, official okay. brand brand document. I guess that means Peggy's off the hook. Sorry, sorry. Another I'll shut up now again. after I ask one more question here. <laughs> you, we live in a global world. Uh, fishing obviously is massive in the U.S. and you have some roots there. But there's a growth strategy that you're driving. Uh, companies based in Sweden, right? There's a fan base all over the place. Lots of Europeans. Guess what? Asians, others all over the world. Probably you know, everywhere people like to fish. How do you approach that? How are you approaching cross-cultural activity in marketing? And what's your growth strategy across the globe? Mm -hmm. So currently, I would say our growth strategy is primarily focused on the U.S. It's been focused on the U.S. from the early days, just because that is like very, very big market. For anglers, a ton of money, a lot of the brands there. Also in Sweden, where we're located, we've definitely done testing in different markets, like in the UK and Japan, also Australia, New Zealand. We've done quite a lot there. That's one we still do, which again, is a way to counter the seasonality because their season is peaking when the US season maybe is lower. So we've done that a little bit globally, but in, definitely in the last couple of years, we've really concentrated more on the US um, because fishing in the US might as well be 50 different countries minimum. It's so different. You know, if you're looking at someone who's fishing for a largemouth bass in Florida versus someone fishing for a trout in Idaho, it's going to be totally different, right? So it's enough work to just sort of be effective with our marketing and our customer research and our product development in the U.S. alone. Now, given that we are based in Stockholm, that has been an interesting challenge. I mean, over the course of the pandemic, we ended up 
you know, hiring a lot more remote than we had previously, which turned out to be quite a benefit for us. And especially in the business development team, I've ended up hiring more people based in the U.S. who are anglers themselves to give us more insight into the audience we're marketing to. So I think it is that balance because I think it, it is really helpful to have the objectivity of not being your customer, but then you better have some people who really, really understand your customer and you need to understand your customer. So, so it's been a lot of a balance of building that team of sort of the skill set and then also the mentality of who we're going after. So let's talk about teams and working together and driving the growth of your app and fandom in regions that are not the U.S. You're from the U.S. The app is not. What are the challenges that you faced? What are some of the interesting, surprising solutions you found? Hmm. Yeah, great question. I mean, definitely both at Fishbrain where I am now and then at Clue, which is the app where I was at before in Berlin, I, you know, I was brought on to lead the marketing team being an American for these apps based in Europe because the audience was targeting the U.S., so, so that's definitely sort of part of the package of, of why I'm here, right? Even if I'm not maybe an angler uh, myself. So it's something that I try to bring that perspective. I do think that you don't have to be located in the country where you're marketing, right? As long as, you know, marketing is to an extent the same everywhere. So as long as you have that right balance, again, of sort of understanding who your customer is and having the humility to know that you might not know anything about how your customer behaves yourself, but that is why you do the research to understand it, right? And so that's something I would say I do, you know, within my teams, within the larger teams I'm in, is being able to say, like, look, we don't know. We have to understand our customer and listen to what they tell us, and that's going to shape our marketing, no matter where we are, and our product development as well. I love that answer. And the the fact is, actually, that as you stated yourself earlier, sometimes when you're exterior to your target audience, you see things and you notice things and you learn things, especially in research, that people just take for granted when they're in the target demographic and don't take advantage of. So I absolutely love that. As one who sometimes wonders, is it bass or bass? Come on, tell me. <laughs> so <laughs> now I know, but I want to end this way, Lisa. Uh, give us your top three tips for mobile marketers in unconventional verticals, verticals that aren't the ones that we think of when we think top five verticals, you know, games is always in there and other things. What are your top three tips for mobile marketers in unconventional verticals? So my top three tips for people in unconventional verticals, this is my tip for everyone all the time, which I already said, but it's just understand your customer and do your research, right? Like it doesn't matter where you are. You have to understand your customer, do the research, talk to them, understand, constantly talk to them. I think that's super important. And then I would say the second tip is, is find your find your sort of siblings, right? So I talked about a couple of the apps like Vivino and Untapped and Strava and another one is All Trails. There are some apps that are like in vertical social who are not competitors to us, right? They're either like in a sort of parallel vertical or they're doing the same thing in a totally different vertical and talk to them. I get so much value out of talking to the CMOs, the CEOs, the growth teams at those companies. It really is kind of like a, a sisterhood between us and our sort of unique verticals versus those broader social networks. So, so find your people who you can learn from and talk to. I think that's really important. And then I would say that my final piece of advice is like, when you get the sort of pushback of people saying, wow, that seems really niche, like that is the point, right? Like don't be dissuaded by people saying, oh, that's so niche, it's so small. Like if the data is there, you know, you've seen that there's a market there, you've seen there's an interest there, and you've seen that you're solving a problem that doesn't have a solution, you know, then trust in that, right? Trust that you're building something because there is a need for that very passionate community. That's great advice. Absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. And this was a real pleasure of a chat. 
Thank you so much for taking the time, Lisa. It was a really fun time for me. Thanks a lot. Thanks okay. so much, Lisa. I'm also wondering if you fish. <laughs> Do I? So, she does so now. <laughs> I, as part of working at Fish Brain, you, when you go on a company offsite, uh, you go fishing. We just did that a couple weeks ago. And um, I did not catch a fish once go. again. <laughs> we'll have to interview in, in a year or something like that. And then we will see if you've caught a fish. And if you've caught the fish, then we'll ask how large was the fish. And we'll ask for documentation as well, because we know everybody, you know, exaggerates what they caught, right? So, but anyways, it's been a The one that got pleasure. away, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, you know what? the one that got away is you, always even bigger. I'll, I'll tell you, you can go see it on Fishbrain because it'll be logged on Fishbrain. So you can see it there. Love there it. Go. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. You too. And thank you to all listeners. We really do appreciate you. Hope you're enjoying it. Let us know on social if you are. And let us know if you want to come and we'll have you on the show. If you're a mobile hero or you know of someone who is, then fill out the interest form over at shorturl.at forward slash JKSKT. Also, Liftoff has a Slack for mobile heroes and people in the mobile ecosystem. There's a link on the screen. And if you're listening to the podcast, it's at info.liftoff.io slash slack dash sign up. It's pretty cool. There's smart people there. And you know what? They probably need you too. And you have probably been completely blown away by all the insights on this show. And you want your transcript. And you can have it because the transcripts are over at Liftoff's website. Go to liftoff.io, click on Heroes, and then click on Podcast. I actually personally love transcripts because I read way faster than people talk. So that's a great way to get insights really, really quickly. Until next time, this is John Kutz here. Thank you so much for joining and this is Peggy Ann Saltz signing off for Mobile Heroes Uncensored.